for for Stacy. All right, you guys are in for a treat. Uh, we have this amazing special guest here, Stacy. Stacy is the one and only person that I've gotten to interview in real life uh, here in Tampa. Um, Stacy has done a lot of amazing things, um, including being a, a military veteran, um, using her health services and you know helping out in the military. And so we thank you for that. We're coming up on Veterans Day. Uh, in the spirit of Veterans Day, of course, um, for the VIP upgrades, getting access to all the recordings and uh, some other bonuses. Going to spend send you a bunch of spreadsheets and handouts and all kind of good stuff, and be able to be in our community through the end of the year. Um, we are also going to be making a donation to the Liberty Manor, to Veterans uh, Housing nonprofit here in Tampa. Um, you know, veterans are out there sacrificing for us, and I think it's our responsibility to really help help out those folks. Um, so we're a housing healthcare, you know, community. So I felt like um, finding a housing veterans nonprofit would be appropriate. And so we're, um, you know, we're gonna be making a donation to them. So I hope you guys can uh, partner with me on that. All such right. Gesture, by the way. What was that? I said such an amazing gesture. We're grateful. Oh yeah, I mean, we got to and don't even get that's a whole soapbox don't even get me started about you know the u.s and our veterans anyways um so so i i asked stacy to kind of be our leadoff hitter for the webinar because out of all the folks that i interviewed and have spoken with i think stacy did a really good job kind of painting the picture of how the healthcare system is broken and then the additional pressures from covid just made things so much worse to where she reached a breaking point. And in fact, she broke her back. Her back reached a breaking point physically, emotionally. And that's what kind of was the catalyst to for her to move into seeking assets like real estate. So she's going to share her story. It was super powerful. And, you know, we did the whole podcast. So, you know, there might be some things that we touch on there that we don't touch on here. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited. You guys are in for a real treat. So Take it away, Stacy. Thank you. So yeah, as you had mentioned, um, I started nursing in Florida, which was a blessing and a curse. Um, I was so passionate about working in critical care. I would not take no for an answer. Um, so I got a job in Florida specifically so that I could start right away in the ER. Um, I absolutely loved it. I love my coworkers. Um, however, unfortunately, um, with healthcare being as broken, it was very common for us to have over eight patients, um, extremely unsafe, extremely scary. Um, and then working in a community hospital, um, I didn't realize that they are actually typically the pinnacle for trauma, even if they're not a trauma facility, uh, because patients get dropped at the front door. Um, so just experiencing a level of crime that I had never experienced, even with my military service and being deployed. Um, so it was just a very unique situation for me to feel that afraid in America and of all places within a hospital. Um, so I did travel and left the state, um, went into pediatrics, which I absolutely loved. It pinked up my heart. Um, but then unfortunately, once I had to leave the golden handcuffs of California, it was back to um, our broken healthcare system. And I took a massive pay cut when I moved to Denver, um, which is super unfortunate how uh, underpaid healthcare workers are here. 
Um, but then I made the ultimate mistake of selling my soul um, for a hospital corporation that might be the biggest one that we all know and dislike. <laughs> Um, so that actually did me in and I, um, started looking for new ways to make money specifically passively. Um, I give a lot of kudos to docs because I always say that they are trained to make money with their minds where I feel like nursing specifically is so laborious that we're so used to selling our time and our, um, physical health in compensation, um, or in place of compensation. Um, so I was in COVID, um, floated to the cardiac surgical ICU because I had heart experience and I had a, a fresh heart patient. We we're lifting her in bed. Um, I had already injured my back. I was wearing a back brace. Um, I actually herniated two discs that time, but I had previously actually broke it and crushed a vertebrae too. Go me. Um, but yeah, it was when we were lifting that patient, um, that bless her heart, she started tearing up and looked at me and said, um, it's so unfair that you have to lift me. And I said, ma'am, it's okay. Thinking she was talking about me being a woman. Um, but no, I, she was like, I can tell you're in pain. I see it in your eyes. Um, and it, it brought me to tears because it was the moment that I was like, this is so messed up. Like, what are we doing? Um, so yeah, it was that point on that. I was like gunning hardcore for real estate. Um, I've started advocating and speaking out to make a big difference, hopefully a positive difference in healthcare. Um, yeah, thank you, Kenny. I just really want to, um, leave healthcare better than I found it. I am super blessed that real estate has, um, changed my life. I've finished almost completely replacing my income. Um, so now I am able to speak out without fear of retaliation. So um hoping to make a big change there. If anybody knows the president, send him my way because I would love to speak at the State of the Union. Oh, geez, man. I just a casual request. <laughs> oh my goodness. There's there's so many parts to your story that are just like I hear your story. And on the one hand, I want to be like, wow, that's horrific. How I can't imagine that ever happening. But a lot of us know that this story is very common. This is not like an outlier. And that's what that's what's so shocking to mm -hmm. working in healthcare is that, you know, it, it, and we talked about this on the podcast, but people want to say, oh, COVID did this to the system or the system is now this way because of COVID. And, you know, I, can you just kind of speak to that? Yeah. So um, as I like to say, the system was just already completely broken and COVID was just the fuel on the fire. Um, I think it really did people in because, for instance, here in Denver, um, you know, and I, I always love to specify that COVID was a very unique experience, even within a city um, the east side of Denver versus the west side of Denver had very different um, COVID experiences from my friends that worked in healthcare and what we compared. Um, so my experience on the west side was that I got laid off because our hospital was empty. Nobody was coming to see us. Um, and the actual terminology they used is furloughed as if that somehow made it better. Um, but it was devastating because I had just saved up my nest egg and here it is. And I had always said the things that medical professionals say, like our job is always in demand. It's the most secure employment. I'll never be laid off. And here I am at the height of a pandemic getting sent home with all of the skills. I was also a flight nurse. I had every single thing they needed 
And I'm like, just because it's the week, first week doesn't mean that this is not going to worsen. And they didn't care. It's just all about money. Um, and so it was very devastating to feel so betrayed by my employer. Um, and then one of the things that I forgot about my back is that that was most unique because I've actually been per diem my entire career and benefited through the military. So I'm super blessed to be able to be per diem in the hospital. Um, and I love that extra flexibility, but I never had health benefits or um, PTO or things like that. And because of the unique position I was in, in this, um, I worked in the cath lab specifically during COVID before I was floated to the cardiac surgical ICU and being fully benefited and having PTO for the first time, I was like, oh, this was the best time for me to get hurt. And then to still be treated that way. Um, it was just absolutely mind blowing. That is such a cute puppy. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so yeah, it was just absolutely mind blowing and um, insert uh, real estate. And I'm just so blessed to have found this. I could talk about it all day long. Man, oh man. So you were working in Denver or, or you were working here in Tampa, then you moved to Denver. And then did you buy your first property in Denver or was that back here in Florida? Yeah. So I started going down um, the rabbit hole of house hacking. Um, I have a little bit of regret that I didn't buy a house in Denver, but not a ton. It wouldn't have been the right house or the right time for me. Um, and that was ultimately the biggest struggle for me initially house hacking that I would love to tell everybody. Um, it is very hard when you're house hacking to differentiate emotion because you're going to live in it. So it's not just an investment property that you're going to rent out. Um, you're going to be there. And so that's where I was struggling with. People are like, you don't need all these amenities and, you know, to save on your purchase price, look at a few less things. And I'm like, yeah, but... I could sacrifice the roommates, but the niceness of it, I was like, oh no, we're not cutting corners on this. Um, so yeah, I really struggled with that. And um, one of my friends and mentors ended up pointing out to me anyways, they're like, Denver's an appreciation market and you're looking for cash flow um, because they could see that I wanted to replace my income and I needed a way out of healthcare. Um, so that's the reason I pivoted back to Tampa. Ooh. So, so let me pause right there for you. So, so in my session, we broke out the whiteboard and we kind of drew out little quick explanations of appreciation and cash flow. Could you kind of break down, um, you know, how you define those two terms and kind of how how those help you win at real estate? Yeah. So appreciation, I personally, and everybody's going to have a different perspective on this. So this is just my perspective. Um, appreciation to me is. I look at it as gambling um, because it's unrealized value until you sell and anything can change at any time in the market. So I am not at a point in my life or was not at the time where I would want to buy on appreciation because to me, it can be taken from you at any minute when it's not realized. So that isn't something I can pay my bills with. So that's why I like cash flow. So the appreciation is just the increase in value in your property based on in residential. It goes specifically off of neighboring homes. So it's truly outside of your control. Um, and those are all great things. Phenomenal sprinkles. The sprinkles of appreciation on my Sunday are what have paved my way. So I don't want to discredit it. 
However, I don't buy properties just assuming appreciation because that's where the gambling is for me. There's no way for you to force it unless you're typically on the commercial side. Um, There's a few tricky ways to do it in residential. But regardless, I needed to replace my income. So I pivoted to a cash flow market. Um, So that's typically in the Midwest or some Southeast states. And then when it comes to cash flow... For for you know for some beginner investors and some clickbaity social media people, they just say, oh, you just take the rent, you subtract the mortgage, and that's all the profit you take home. Um, and so my sister would kind of said, whoa, wait, hey, time out, time out. You have some other expenses there. So what are some kind of other you know expenses and things that you got to kind of consider? Yeah. So depending, especially on your strategy, like short-term rental and even midterm, um, a huge thing to consider is your vacancy for with long-term and especially in Florida, um, on a long-term, you typically don't have like drastic, but you can Google your vacancy rates in your area. Um, so for Florida specifically, I was underwriting and analyzing at a 5% vacancy rate. Um, so that's a massive thing to consider, especially if you're using property management, because they will never rent your property as quickly as you want. They just won't. Um, So yeah, that's another big one. Um, Another big thing I like to tell people about is that when you're underwriting and analyzing your property taxes, always account for A, how often they're evaluated because it is different in every state and even county. Um, I actually don't know. I think Hillsborough is yearly as well. Um, I could be wrong. All I know is I will be disputing mine this year. (laughs) So I'm learning about that. but yeah, so you just want to under um, analyze for the uh, increased price of whatever sale price you're getting, because that will increase tremendously, typically, um, especially in the past few years. And that can really bust a deal. So just accounting for those things, um, CapEx and maintenance, some people clump them together. Other people don't. That's personal preference. Um, but I feel like those are the biggest things. And then just always having a certain amount of reserves on hand. Um, both if you have an unexpected vacancy or an eviction, but then also because it it's just the saying, when it rains, it pours and everything breaks at once. Um, so it was two summers ago now, I had a roof go out with a condenser, AC condenser. I think it was two AC condensers and one other really expensive thing. And I was just like crying, like, Meh. So that's the importance of reserves. Um, but yeah, those are the big things to look for, I feel like. Man, oh man, that's so much that's so helpful there to just kind of break all those things down. Um, so scooting back to the taxes there, that was one of the biggest things that kind of tricked me initially as a new investor that I didn't realize. So um in florida at least again every state's a little bit different how they do it in florida if you live in a house you get a fifty thousand dollar discount called your homestead um on your taxes so if your house is worth two hundred thousand dollars then the city doesn't tax you on two hundred thousand dollar value they only tax you on 150 because they kind of you know give you that discount because it's your house that you live in um So what happens is if you buy a house that was previously someone living in there and then you buy it, your new tax rate is going to not only not have that discount, but it's going to be that new sale price. So what Stacey's saying there, that new assessed value. 
So if, you know, you buy it from someone that's lived there for 30 years and their assessed value is $80,000 and they're paying, you know, $400 a year in taxes, okay, you go and buy it for $250,000, we're going to have a massive jump in your taxes and it won't be initially, it'll be that second year, you know, when it gets reassessed. Um, so that's something that I didn't realize as a new investor um, that, that kind of snuck up on me. So that's definitely something where having a mentor, having a guide, having a community where some of those little hiccups, you can have foresight to be aware of them. Um, that's huge. Um, and then for the, the, the repairs and expenses, vacancy, all those items, um, obviously what we're trying to talk about is house hacking. You buy it, you live in it, you fix everything, then you move out. By you living in a property for you know one or two years, you have the opportunity to shore up some of those maybe a little bit questionable repair items, and you have a really good sense of how aggressive or conservative you need to be for your reserves. So if you're like, oh my gosh, this hot water heater's on its last leg, well, you know that you probably need to save for that in the future. Um, or while you're living there, you replace all the appliances, and you're like, I don't need to save money for appliances because we just replaced everything. Um, so it does kind of give you a little bit of an edge by living in the property first um, before you move out. So I like you touching on all those points. <laughs> yeah. And I actually wanted to touch on that next. Um, I've officially dubbed this house hack arbitrage. So um, <laughs> trademarked. Uh, I Everybody loves to ask about my rental portfolio and how I built it and all of these things. And I feel like the number one thing that gets passed over is the fact that I truly have to attribute all of my investing success to house hack arbitrage. Um, and I'm saying that lightheartedly and jokingly because it is what it is. But to, to explain to your audience what I'm even talking about is instead of buying the house hack, I ended up just moving into one here in Denver um, and doing that literally cut my costs, my living expenses in half. And that is what allowed me to save because all of my properties out of state in Florida are all um, duplexes. So small multifamily. And I had to put 25% down on all of them. And the only way it was possible for me to do that was a, by living in the house hack and decreasing my large living expenses, and then b doing the compounding of my investments and never spending the cash flow and just reinvesting it. But it was truly house hacking that made that possible. So you were on the, the house hack E side of the house hack. <laughs> yeah. And because, that started actually. Yeah, because kind of what to, to kind of prepare yourself to do that, you got to get your income as high as possible and then depress your your expenses so you can save that. So you're saying that you moved into a house with roommates to lower your housing expense so you can get your down payment to go get the house. Yes. Yep. And then I just ended up deciding to buy out of state anyways. Um, but the whole reason that even started was because somebody that realized how much I was struggling making an emotional decision of buying this expensive house in Denver um, and then potentially house hacking it. They're like, you, I hadn't had roommates in my entire adult life. Like literally I moved out of my parents' house at 17, joined the Air Force and thank God that I joined the Air Force and not a different branch um, because I had my own dorm rooms. I mean, obviously in boot camp, you had roommates, but outside of like short stints, we always get our own room in the Air Force. So I never had a roommate until 33 when I move into this house hack. And that's what I was so in 
unsure about. Like I could understand the value of being able to save and decrease my living expenses, but the idea of having roommates at 33 was such a hard thing for me to get over. So moving into a house hack that was owned by somebody else and I was just a renter allowed me to test out the environment and see how I liked it. And then I ended up loving it. All of my roommates in the initial house hack were in their 20s. I worked on call in the cath lab at the time. So I ended up being the a-hole with a loud pager going off in the middle of the night. I thought they were all going to be like partying and waking me up. And I was going to be like the old mom. That was not the case at all. Um, So I just encourage people to like, let yourself be surprised. And we had five of us total living in that house. So four other roommates by myself, all in their 20s. And we never had a single issue, literally never once. And so um, I just you know, people give it so much, um, pressure of like having a roommate and like so much negativity. And I'm like, it's really not that bad. There is a beauty in communal living. It's fine. Talk through things, work on your communication skills. Like this is personal development in real estate investing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I have only lived with roommates. I'm the oldest of six kids. So there was about a three year stint where I was an only child. And since then I've had roommates. So <laughs> um, yeah, I, I moved out of my house and I lived in, We did, it wasn't a house hack because we were all renting together, but we were all renting in a house. Um, and then I got my first house and I actually got all seller financing. And then I had roommates uh, before PT school, roommates all the way through PT school, and then I continued to rent it out to physical therapy students uh, once I, you know, graduated PT school and got married. Um, but yeah, living with roommates is not that bad. And it's the quickest way to lower that expense, even if you're the house hack E. So for for anyone out there with, you know, uh, the, it's a PT student, a new grad, a nurse, um, doing being a house hack E is a quick way to lower your expenses. So I love that nugget that you're sharing. Yeah. And there's like so many other things too. So I have to tell everybody, um, it doesn't have to suck. I, um, hopped my way into new properties and kept one of my roommates and brought her with me. And then we've come and had a few come and go, but, um, we now live in a luxury condo, um, townhouse. It's a three stories, three bed, three bath. Um, in a very great location in Denver. And my initial house hack was 950 in rent for the master with my own bathroom. And now in this luxury house hack, I'm only paying 1150 in rent. And I have the entire basement to myself with my own bedroom, room, podcasting area, all of the things. So it doesn't have to be horrible. And it's still a great way to live in a nice area with nice amenities and still keeping it more affordable. So I can't recommend it enough to people. So, and also just, just to throw this caveat on there, I used the same negotiation skills that I do when I'm doing an acquisition or getting a new property with the landlord of this property. He had a bad eviction. He had bad tenants. This house is like his baby because it's so nice and so new. They treated him and the place horribly. So I came in, recognized these pain points and just said to him like, sir, I own real estate too. I have tenants too. I understand what it's like to be in your shoes. I understand how much that hurts. Let me be the best tenant you've ever had. And so he gave it to us at a lower than market rent price in Denver the hottest market 
that I have ever lived in. And especially for rentals because the supply and demand of buying is so atrocious. So there are like so many transferable skills here that are just so good and can be applied in so many different ways. Oh man, that's awesome. I love to hear that. That is so cool. <laughs> oh man. It was a lot of so fun. So let's see. So 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 we were talking about the house hacking. Oh, one thing that we talked about on the the podcast that I would love for you to circle back to and kind of expand on a little bit. Um you were considering doing a house hack to basically save on your housing expense, but you had a mentor say, no, go out and get the cash flow to cover your housing expense. Can you kind of walk me through kind of what that conversation is and you know how you, how that influenced your decision? Yeah. So when I was initially looking at houses in Denver, even though um, it was back in the days when they were only in the 400,000s and not in the five and six and sevens. Um, and even though it had a, an amazing interest rate, um, the best I could do for the size of house that I could afford was barely break even um, having them cover the mortgage. So meaning I could live for free and that was the maximum amount I could make. Going out of state and getting cash flow has no threshold, there's no limit, except for what the obvious rental um, market rent is demanding in that area. But the cash flow can compound because my um, mortgage rate and everything is locked and will stay the same. So as rent and the market appreciates, I continue to gain that value and I continue to gain that excess in cash flow. Um, which is how I've been as successful as I did, the rental market in Florida um, skyrocketed because of everybody moving from California. So when I initially closed, I know it's a massive blessing for me. Um, when I initially closed, my tenants were paying like $900. Market rent is $1,400 within two years. It's a insane steep increase. I did not increase all of them to that. Um, but still the cash flow has been phenomenal. Sorry, I'm actually going to pause you right there and we're going to go to the whiteboard and show why that is such a huge deal because people say, okay, 900, you said 900 to 1400. All right. So let me, let me see if I can get this to work with you. Yeah, and it, it cash flow at hundred. So um, yeah, let me pull right, up so my trackers gonna... too. All right. Can you see the whiteboard? Yes. All right. So the rent was 900 a month. Okay. And what would you say? Just ballpark number, simple math, ballpark numbers. What was the mortgage? Um, We'll say 745. 745. Just um, All right. principal and interest. So if I use that, if I use that genuine doctorate education we got here, it's $155 a month in, I don't even want to say profit because that's, I don't even want to say profit. We'll just say gross rent or whatever. I don't know, whatever. And I'm right, sorry, so $155. Is, yeah, correct you from the get-go. This is a duplex, so 900 on each side. Oh. Uh-huh. Thank you. 1800. All right. There we go. Now we're talking. Yeah. All right. So it's, so we'll say gross. 
revenue is 10.55. Okay. So that's that number. So if we increase the rent to 1400, so if we go up to 1400, that's 1400 times 2. So if we go up to 1400 times 2, that's 2800. Okay, 2800 minus 745. Our profit, our profit obviously went up. Let's see, 2055 divided by 1055 divided by 1055. So that's a 94.7. So that's a 94.7% increase in profit. Even though it only went up a couple hundred bucks on each side because you don't take home because you don't take home all of the you don't take home all of the rent revenue because your mortgage stays the same. So any gain in rent monthly rent is straight profit and percentage wise that goes up really fast. So even so if your profit is $100 a month and you can increase rent by 100 more dollars a month, you just double your cash flow. That's a 100% increase in profit. It's not just $100 on 900, it's 100 on 100. So it's like I don't know. I just when you said that I just wanted to highlight that really quick. And so that is the superpower of supercharging and getting your rents as high as possible. That's why it always pays to make your property nice and very desirable because even if you can get $50 more rent, $100 more rent, you are crushing the landlords around you that are just doing the bare minimum to get by. Um, so yeah, so I just wanted to draw that real quick. I love that diagram. If anyone cannot read my handwriting, I apologize. <laughs> It was great. It was like a whole football play. Yes. Um, but yeah, just the moral of the story is that even if you decide not to buy a house hack, it's so massively valuable to move into one and it can still literally change your life like it did for me. So 10 out of 10 recommend. Uh, so um, I don't, I don't know how familiar you are. I'm assuming you are. If you're not, it's okay. But you said that your duplex, you bought it and you had to put a 25% down payment mm -hmm. um, because that was that was an investor. You weren't going to be living in it. It was an investor loan. Um, obviously, we have that new FHA with the 5% down that everyone's buzzing about. And, so and Jessica's going to come on. Jessica's going to come on uh, later or come on next and kind of talk about some of the financing, you know, nuts and bolts there. But how big... How much would that have helped you if that might have been available, you know, when you were first getting started? Um, so I wouldn't have changed it because it forced me to save. It forced me into frugality and it forced me into consistent budgeting and realizing how much I was living outside of my means. So I'm thankful. However, um, honestly, I feel like it's a, it's a, what is that called? Like an infinite, you can't even measure the effect of it because your 
the amount of money, I think it was like 50,000 over 50,000 around there that I had to pay for the down payment. And so being able to measure the value of investing the difference at 25%. So I don't even know how much of that would have been required, but um, $50,000 invested somewhere else could have been amazing. I'm not mad at this. My cash on cash was over 12%. Um, so certainly outperforming the stock market and other things. However, it is still, oh yeah, it was 57. I pulled it up on my spreadsheet, $57,000 that is tied into that investment. Now I'm comfortable leaving it that way um, because that's my um, pain point of being too over leveraged. Um, so I don't mind having some equity in there. It bothers a lot of other investors that know how much equity I have sitting in my properties, but it'll be there for me to pull off of one day when I'm ready. It's fine. But I mean, that cash flow and that rate, I'm just not willing to give it up. But, but yeah, it would be a huge difference. It's like investing $50,000 somewhere else. Um, or certainly if you could buy a whole bunch of quads at a 5% life changing, couldn't even imagine, but um, I wouldn't change anything. I, I learned all the lessons I needed to learn in the right time and the right way. So, but yeah, that 5% would be killer. I'm actually just now thinking about utilizing it for the first time in Denver. Cause I'm like, Ooh, this could be the new, new version of house hacking for Stacy. Finally getting her own house hack. And I won't have actual roommates. Like, mm, this is a little enticing. Yeah. So kind of what you're hinting at there is the multifamily house hack. So, so kind of the single family house hack that I've done that, um, that Dave has done and, um, Jessica has done a single family home. You buy it, you live in it, you move out, you rent kind of what you're alluding to and kind of what this program is really going to help is people that want to do a multifamily house hack. So where you get a duplex, a triplex or a quad, you live in one of the units and then you rent out the other three. The cool thing is that when you're trying to get the loan, the project the projected rent from those other three units help you qualify to get the loan. Because again, circling back what I said at the beginning, the government wants to partner with you for you to be a good landlord and provide safe, affordable housing to people in this country. 300 million people, government can't house all of them. They want you to be a landlord. They heavily incentivize it with taxes. They heavily, you know, lots of loan programs to help you buy real estate, but that's what she's saying is you can live in one side of the duplex, rent out the other side, and then you're still doing a house hack, but you don't have to have roommates. So if you're maybe someone, you know, that is married, you have kids, you don't want roommates, um, that's kind of what that option might look like. Yes, do it. Cool, cool. Uh, so, um, so we are the Real Estate and Healthcare Leadership Network. Um, in the realm of healthcare leadership, you are, I understand you're not doing bedside nursing anymore. Kind of what, what, what things are you working on now? Um, I think you said you have an admin nursing job. Um, what kind of stuff are you working on now in the healthcare leadership realm? Well, funny you ask, there's been a lot of changes <laughs> since I saw you. Um, so I work in research. Um, I absolutely loved it because it was a way that I felt like I could still use my medical, um, knowledge, um, which after 12 years in critical care, I felt like was a lot. Um, 
I was using it to do evidence-based practice and making sure that all of our procedures and policies within a hospital are um, the most advanced, innovative, safe, um, all the amazing things. I got to work with a ton of different areas in a hospital that I normally wouldn't in um, critical care or in the ER. We joke they don't let us out for a reason. We're like caged animals. Um, so yeah, I got to use all of that expertise. However, um, as I alluded to before with my desire to replace my income, um, I fully expected there to be some, um, not retaliation, but um, animosity, I don't know what the word is, um, for me speaking out and advocating. And um, the long story short of it is that I have an Instagram as my platform advocating for these positive changes. And I believe someone from my hospital system found my Instagram um, because I was threatened to be terminated recently. So this is all okay. This is, we've been preparing for this. Um, I did cry. It hurt my feelings a little bit because I am a good employee. I'm a role follower. So it feels a little bit like I'm in trouble. Um, so yeah, it's, it's massive, but this is what I've been preparing for. And this is what I'm saying. Like the value of having rental income is truly priceless because this is affording me freedom, which there is no price tag on freedom. Um, the fact that I could potentially be fired and still afford all of my expenses and cover um, the really important things is just huge. And so that's the only reason I'm able to talk about this and not be sobbing right now. Um, but yeah, it does. It hurts my feelings because I was hoping to graduate and I have not been fired yet, but um, we'll see. But um, it just tells me even more that we get to um, work harder at making changes so that this is not even a thing. Um, but the other exciting news, and that's where I was like, this is such a perfect storm. Um, well, hang I on. Can, can we pause right there for yes. just a second? For so just circling back, you still work for said hospital you were working at before when you hurt your back and all that stuff nope, in a different I role. Left that one. It's oh, at a okay. new system, but yes. And so they're threatening you because of the content you're putting out, like raising awareness about nursing and stuff. It wasn't clear about that. However, I don't want to sound full of myself, but they measure our KPIs and our metrics. And it, on that spreadsheet, it reflects that at 20 hours, that's all I work, I am performing better than their 40-hour employees. Um, so to me, it couldn't be a work-related thing. I've also done nothing to get in trouble. I do everything that's asked of me. Um, so that's where I felt the letter that they sent me was very subjective. And it basically said, if I do anything, they, they said, I will no longer be a valued member of our healthcare team. Um, oh, but they're geez. all subjective. Man. So, yeah. All right. So just, so just like, I wasn't going to get on this soapbox, but I feel like this is a really good gateway to get into the soapbox. So what is your... Your Instagram tag. What's your Instagram tag? Invest for freedom underscore RN. All right. Freedom. That is the main point here, guys. Freedom is the main point. When you are financially free for on your own from your own income producing assets or your own cash pay business or your own whatever, you have the authority 
to make your own decisions and say no. Okay. That was one of the biggest things that happened during COVID that made it abundantly clear that Uncle Sam, the government, Medicare, and every hospital system have complete control over every healthcare provider for a lot of reasons. The two big ones, they control our licenses, they control our payment. Mm -hmm. So anything that they say that you can do or you cannot do, you have to comply or you are going to be at risk for them losing your license, being kicked out of a facility. And we saw this during COVID with the whole, with the masking, with the vaccines, with who got the vaccine, with who didn't get the vaccine. People got fired. People went on strikes. Okay. That is just a snapshot. Okay. And like not to be tinfoil hat, you know, a little bit of tinfoil hat, but over the next several years, that showed the the government, all these hospital systems, that whatever rules or demands that they want to make, that a large number of people are going to just comply and be quiet and do it because we need the job, because we need the money. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, and so whatever things come out, whether it's mass, whether it's vaccines, whether it's you got to believe this, you got to not believe that, you got to sign this, you got to sign that, they have us by the throat. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, you, I mean, you, if 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 you're strapped, if you're strapped for cash, you have all these student loans, you have a license that they, they could make a requirement on all of our licenses. Hey, to get your license, you gotta have your flu shot, you gotta have your COVID shot, you gotta have this, and you can, you know, wherever you stand on the COVID vaccine is fine, but should that be a restriction on your on your education, your education and ability to deliver medicine, should that should a vaccine be a requirement for that? I don't know, dicey. Um, but I really like what you're saying that, hey, I, I, because of the decisions I've made and the assets I have, I have the freedom and I have the stance of strength and power where I can say no. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. It does. Um, it does still blow my mind too, because I don't, I, I wrote our social media policy. So I know that I have followed it. There's absolutely no affiliation you cannot find anywhere on the internet where I work. And so it it bothers me because it's not even about them. It's about the entire system nationally. Um, but yeah, it's it's extremely sad. And um, some of the other people like Nurse Erica has a Instagram profile and speaks out. She had always posted things about like CEOs and hospital administrators writing her and saying horrible things to her on LinkedIn. And I was thinking like, oh my gosh, that's so nasty. Like we're professionals and that's, they're taking the time to do this. Uh, I felt like it was, oh, maybe she instigated something or it was unwarranted. Like it just didn't make sense to me. And now that it's happening, I'm like, it's, it's insane. Yeah. And said another way. I've been in the military for 18 years, literally serving our country for 18 years. There are rules that we have to abide by being in the military about what we can and not can and cannot say. That is something that we all understand. They're very clear about it from day one. How is a hospital restricting my freedom of speech more than the military ever has? It's insane. Yeah, that's really, oh God. Yeah, it's really dicey. Yeah, and so 
you know, just, just building back to like, start with why, what is your motivation? Mm-hmm. If you can be in a position of freedom and a freedom a position of strength, you can be more autonomous, make your own decisions. You're going to have the freedom to change jobs, to say no, to, to have these stances, you know, that if you just have a 40 hour week job, you're not going to have that flexibility. Whew. All right. Sorry. I, so that was a, I think I made a tour because yeah, I was like, <laughs> I've been talking all year about how I wanted to finish replacing my income so that I could go nuts speaking out about this. And I was like, oh my gosh, this timing, like that's so weird. But also yes. the other thing I was going to tell everybody, um, yeah, I so was circling back to the good news. What's the good. Yeah. Thing? Well, I was going to say first, the other bad news, I was almost in tears when I saw you in Florida because of the insurance crisis that was happening. Um, and it was like ruining my cash flow, and it totally sent me back from my goal. I redid all the policies. It's not anywhere near as bad as it was because one of my insurance policies went up to like $8,000 from one, like it was stupid. Um, but so anyways, I got my cash flow back to a decent number and I was like, okay, I have just over a thousand dollars to finish replacing my income. Um, and it was no joke that last week is when all of this amazing intervention stuff happened at my employer. And then this week I am officially under contract on my first eight unit apartment. Finish replacing my income. Hopefully. There you go. Where at? It's, uh, I, I like still have such mixed feelings about sharing markets and stuff, but thank you, Jess. Oh. I appreciate you. Um, <laughs> it's in South Dakota. South Dakota, don't you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's exciting. Insane that I've been working towards both of these goals for literally a year. um, And they're both happening at the same time. So that's why I was like, this is um, serendipitous. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so what I'm kind of hearing, so, so just for the folks at home, what we're hearing is that you didn't read a book and you're like, wow, I want to be a millionaire and that's, I'm going to do real estate. It mm-hmm. sounded like you got put in a pinch and you got put in a chokehold and you said, I got to do something different. And it was pain that motivated you to make moves. Yeah. And it does. It's, I will say pain is far better motivator. So this is definitely, if you told me three years ago when I was still at bedside in critical care, I might've punched somebody if they told me there will be a blessing in disguise because I just couldn't see out of it. Like there was literally still, my mindset was so far from replacing my income um, that it seemed unreachable. And now here I am in three years replacing my income. Like real estate is truly profound. It has changed my life in such a beautiful way. And I also just want to point out, I am under contract. Um, It might not cash flow day one because I'm extremely conservative in my analyzing and underwriting. However, at a 9% rate, 9%, ladies and gentlemen, it is still an asset that will cash flow within one year time, possibly within a month. So do not let the current market stop you from buying ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the percentage rate is just a spot on a spreadsheet. It is just another variable. You type it in and then yeah, you you figure out how to increase the rent. You value add. So you figure out how do you make it a little bit nicer? What amenities can you add? What things can you do to bump up that rent just enough to swing the pendulum? Because again, $50, $100, 
can make a huge difference percentage wise. Um, so just like, just so people aren't, you know, hearing something wrong, you did all this on a regular nurse salary. You didn't mm -hmm. win the lottery. You didn't go buy a bunch of crypto, like single nurse walk through that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's single nurse income. I just literally started saving. Um, I think the, the most profound thing was using the cash flow that compounded and continuing to reinvest it. Um, everybody that hears me say like, I want to finish replacing my income. I'm not living off of any of it right now. It's there if I need it. Thank goodness I haven't yet. Um, but it's just continuing to reinvest that so that it compounds. And I, I put that towards saving and then buying more cash flowing properties. Um, so yeah, it can be done in any way. And it's truly just focus on those large expenses, like cutting out Starbucks. I don't know. I just feel like everybody has this like Dave Ramsey thought process about saving money. Like it has to suck and it has to hurt. And I just want people to know, like, yes, I made sacrifices. I moved into a house with four of the roommates, but I was still going out. I was still having fun with friends, going on dates, you know, other things. It's it's not an end all be all. You don't have to sit at home and be miserable. You can still be extremely intentional with the way that you spend your money. And I always encourage people to spend it only on the things that bring you joy. For me, that's being around people, community, going to dinner with friends, stuff of that nature. So um, I almost feel like I didn't almost feel like I didn't. My sister likes to humble me because she um, she thinks I took the fr frugality to a little bit too high of a level, but got me where I am. I wasn't eating yeah, beans yeah. off the can. Like, come on. It's not, it's yeah, not I feel like there's standards. this weird like I feel like there's this weird like glorified like the more sucky of a sacrifice that you're making like the more trendy it is, but mm -hmm. you can just going out and getting more cash flow. I mean, that that's the name of the game. Um, so let's see. So we got a few minutes left here. So we'll pause and we'll kind of open it up to see if anyone has any questions. Um, see if we got, we got a couple people out here in the, in the chat here. If you're feeling brave, we'd love to hear you, you know, unmute your microphone. If you're an introvert, we love you too. You can put it in the chat. Um, we also have the text line. You guys can reply to me on the uh, the text that we sent out. We can put any of those questions uh, here for Stacy. So does anyone have any questions about nursing, hospitals, trying to ruin your life? <laughs> Stocking uh, on social media. House hacking. Any, any, any of those topics that anyone has any questions about, drop them in the chat. Oh, my goodness. They're not even going to try to stump me. I've been working on my, um, I, I call it speaking like a politician. <laughs> Hi, Jess. <laughs> oh, Jess, we can't hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. There we I, go. I, hi. Um, congrats on your new purchase. I just wanted to say, um, you mentioned, you know, I think it was your sister who was like, you're way too frugal. And there's always going to be people who say, you're not doing this right. You're crazy. What are you doing? You know, and you're not, they're going to look back and one day they're going to say to you, I wish I had done that. Yes. 
So it's anybody who's like scared to make moves and Stacey, you're doing a lot of things that are scary. And I look at you and I'm like, that's scary, but I want to do that. Um, Somebody has to do it first and you're not crazy. You're just first. Yes. That's a phenomenal way of putting it. Yes. Everybody thinks it's crazy until it's not. And then everybody wants to do it a hundred percent. And then, and then obviously the other big thing is you should only listen to advice from people that are ahead of you or have what you want. Yes. So like, no, obviously fam, family is like, family is a super weird outlier where you know, if someone on the street came up to you and was like, hey, you're being too frugal, you'd be like, ah, kick rocks, who cares? But for some reason, we have a lot of these limiting views that are installed by our family and our friends and our communities where we grew up that are like really, really hard to overcome. Um, I don't know. So how did you kind of, did you have more conversations with her? Did you kind of ignore her? Did you kind of just stay the course? And then once she started to see the results, she kind of came around or how did that kind of play out? Um, So the super unique thing about me and my siblings is that um, I am very much the black sheep of the family. Um, So both of my siblings went into tech and my brother's a commodity trader. Um, so super high, um, net worth, high income generating jobs. Um, so what the sacrifice she was seeing me make is not something that she had ever had to experience because right out of college, she got a very well-paying job and then just scaled from there. And I love that for them. Um, and honestly, it was one of my big motivating things with healthcare. Like they can stay at home and work in the comfort because they were work from home before COVID. I'm like, they do that and they make multiple six figures in a year. And here I am like going to save people's lives, literally breaking my back and crying at work every day, understaffed, like just so stressed. And I was like, I have not paid well, like, or appropriately or anything. Um, so yeah, it was like kind of one, in one year out another because I've I recognized I needed to make those sacrifices in order to get ahead. Um so that was just, you know, the circumstance of the path that I went being in medicine and it had never crossed my mind to look at a profession and look at what they made before going into it. I've never been a fiscally driven person in that way. Um, so yeah, very surprising to me to find out what healthcare workers get paid. So leaning into that external pressure of you're this age, you should have this, you should live this way, you should drive this car, live in this condo, go to Starbucks every day. Like, I feel like a lot of that external pressure like backs people into a corner really fast because people say, oh, you know, I graduated. I have the job. I'm going to drive the nice car, live in this apartment. And then they max out their expenses and then they're back in the corner. So it sounds like you, you kind of went against the grain big time by doing the house hack. And so I like, I really commend you for that. But I feel like in the healthcare community, like that's a big thing that there's a lot of external pressure of like, okay, like you should enjoy yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. And then, sorry, I just wanted to answer Ian's question really quick. Um, Ian, do you mean a business partner or a romantic partner? Um, Just to clarify on that. But as far as doing the house hack with a friend, um, 
I feel like the biggest challenge with being a landlord and in a house hack specifically is that if you're still living there, um, you have to have very clear boundaries. Um, the relationship that I have with my tenants not living together um, is phenomenal because it's the landlord tenant. We have an established respect for each other and we communicate that way. Um, sometimes when you're house hacking or living or, um, being a landlord to a friend, even if you're not living with them, like I'm currently renting to a friend, um, it's an entirely different dynamic because it's essentially mixing business with pleasure. So it can be very hard. Um, but as long as you are well-versed in good communication, um, then I definitely think, and boundaries, I definitely think it could work, but um, to use caution. And then as far as the romantic partner goes, if it's what you need to do to get ahead, I can't recommend it enough. Like it truly changed my life. Um, but just again, having that conversation up front, especially with a romantic partner of like, okay, this is going to change your dynamic and your ability to have alone time, um, couple time, all of those things um, that are good for healthy dynamics in relationships. So, um, and I think actually Jess might be able to speak a little bit more to that. Cause if I'm not mistaken, her and her partner had roommates at one time. So she might have some better insight into that, but. I'm, I'm happy to speak to that. I don't know if you want me to wait until my time to speak to it or. No, you're welcome. No, no, no. Go ahead. Okay. Hey guys, this is Jessica. Jessica is going to be up next. She's awesome. Um, I can reintroduce her in a sec because I'll stop the recording and then I'll reintroduce you. But yeah, jump in. You can go ahead and answer that question for sure. Um, so I do invest with my partner. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's rainbows and kittens. It's not. <laughs> um, we definitely have our challenges, um, you know, with investing, whether it's a live-in um, renovations like we're going through right now or just design ideas. He has a completely different design than I do. Um, you know, we, we don't always see eye to eye on things, but just like everything in life, you're not going to see eye to eye on things with your partner. Um, so it's an opportunity to hear the other person go into the conversation and, and hear them, um, and learn where they're at and try to compromise or, you know, just find a middle ground. Um, and then, you know, when it comes to legally, you know, protecting yourself with investing with a partner, whether you're married with them or it's just, you know, a, a friend or truly just a partner, that's something that you definitely want to have, you know, contracts in place. And I'm, I'm not an attorney, but have contracts in place that are going to protect you should somebody else want to buy you out or somebody want out of it, or if you guys, you know, want to split ways, whatever it is. Um, you know, I personally have my own investments and I love my husband, but it's nice because I don't have to get his approval um, on anything. So I can kind of just make my own decisions, but at the same time, it is riskier and it is a little bit scarier knowing that like, you know, if shit hits the fan, it's on me. Um, and I'm handling it all on my own. So it's kind of nice with our other properties that we own together that, you know, if I'm, my plate is really full, he'll pick up some of the slack and vice versa. So there's pros and cons to both, I think. Sweet. That was a really detailed answer. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's a complicated thing, living and investing with, uh, with a partner, romantic or not. So I definitely commend you guys for making that work. It's a, it's a daily challenge. challenge. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, any uh, closing thoughts, Stacy? Where can people find you? And then I'll uh, stop the recording. Yeah. So please come follow, follow me on Instagram, investforfreedom underscore RN. 
let's change healthcare so we don't all have to leave. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks so much for being on. I'm going to stop it yeah, here. My pleasure.